When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Healthy vs. Toxic, the podcast where licensed mental health professionals explore what makes a relationship healthy or unhealthy or even abusive, all from a scientifically informed perspective. This is Dr. Grande. Today's question asks if you can tell if someone is a psychopath by looking at their eyes, right? So what this is really getting at is this idea that pupil dilation in psychopaths is different than what we see in people who are non-psychopathic or who are low in psychopathy. So the basic idea of this is that affectively charged stimuli, so stimuli that has an emotional piece to it, can lead to pupil dilation, and that psychopaths find different types of stimuli boring, exciting, or threatening when compared to non-psychopaths. So their pupil dilation would be different. Before we get into psychopathy, what happens with pupil dilation normally in people without psychopathy or with low levels of psychopathy? We see that unpleasant stimuli tends to lead to greater emotional response than pleasant or neutral stimuli. So that's the first thing. Unpleasant seems to have more of an effect than pleasant or neutral. The greater emotional response we see with unpleasant stimuli is associated with larger pupil dilation. So that's what we see before we even get into the issue of psychopathy at all, just what we see in the population. So now moving to take a look at psychopathy. We see that in the research literature, pupil dilation seems to be somewhat based on the type of psychopathy. So I'm going to briefly cover the two types of psychopathy. Now, what gets confusing here a little bit is that each type of psychopathy has several different names. So the first type is called factor one psychopathy also known as primary psychopathy and interpersonal affective psychopathy. And with this type of psychopathy, with factor one, we see traits like being callous, unemotional, manipulative, being deceptive, having fearless dominance, and lacking remorse. Individuals with factor one psychopathy tend to be low in neuroticism, so they tend to be emotionally stable. Now moving to the second type of psychopathy, factor two psychopathy, This is also called secondary psychopathy, sociopathy, and lifestyle antisocial psychopathy. So here we see characteristics like being impulsive, irresponsible, having a high level of neuroticism, so not being emotionally stable, engaging in criminal behaviors, and being sensation-seeking. So this type of psychopathy has a close relationship with antisocial personality disorder. So here's the idea with psychopathy. 
Some theorists believe that psychopaths have what's referred to as an affective deficit. So stimuli that contains affective or emotional content fails to induce the expected behavior, emotional state, or physiological reaction. Now, this is actually somewhat of a controversial position, as some research shows that psychopaths have a similar capacity for experiencing emotions when compared to non-psychopaths. But the valence for emotional stimuli is lower. So what that means is that the psychopath doesn't really value emotions in the same way. So they can experience emotions in the same way, but they don't put a lot of value on it. So they're not motivated to act on emotional stimuli. Other research shows that psychopaths have a reduced capacity to feel all emotions. So it's really a global deficit. So it's not specific to negative or positive emotions. Now, the pupil dilation theory is based on the idea that psychopaths have a deficit specifically in experiencing negative emotions. And there's a reasonable amount of evidence to support this particular theory. For example, we see that when we're looking at the startle response, that's when a person jumps when they hear a loud noise. For non-psychopathic individuals, aversive images increase the reaction to a loud noise, right? So somebody does not have psychopathy and they're looking at like a negative image. And when that loud noise is presented, they have a stronger reaction to that noise, a stronger startle response. In those same people, individuals who score low in psychopathy, positive images decrease the startle response, right? So negative images tend to increase it, positive images tend to decrease it. But for psychopaths, the findings are different. Aversive images do not seem to produce the same increase in the startle response. And interestingly, they may even cause a decrease in the startle response. So if a psychopath is looking at an aversive image and a loud noise goes off, they might have a less pronounced startle response. When positive images are shown to psychopaths, they demonstrate a typical startle reflex. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who have overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave. So moving forward, this idea, we end up looking at the area of pupillometry, right? So this is when researchers measure pupil dilation, pupillometry. We see here that both negative and positive stimuli produce pupil dilation. This is true for visual images, including images of faces, and for sounds. Now, there are some exceptions here. For example, images like cute animals or babies don't cause as much pupil dilation. So the theory here is the stimuli must be the type that would normally demand immediate attention in real life. For example, a threatening situation, violence, or the opportunity to have sex. So the degree of pupil dilation is related to the extent to which the image or sound taps into the defensive motivational system. Now, pupil dilation is controlled by the amygdala the part of the brain that processes threatening stimuli and regulates fear. The amygdala also responds to some types of positive imagery, and it responds to intriguing or unusual images. So the idea here is that by studying pupil dilation, 
we can get a look at what's going on in the amygdala. So if the amygdala of a psychopath responds differently to stimuli as compared to a non-psychopath, we would see that in the pupils. So with all this in mind, what do we see in the research literature? Well, for low levels of psychopathy, so usually thought of as subclinical psychopathy, psychopathy that would not be the focus of treatment, like mental health treatment, we see there is no unexpected pupil dilation in response to negative or positive images. So we really don't see anything going on at the lower levels of psychopathy. But what about experiments that used a sample that had a higher level of psychopathy? Here we see a different finding. Looking at a few types of stimuli here and starting with images, we see that individuals who are high in factor one psychopathy, that's that interpersonal affective type of psychopathy, show reduced pupil dilation when looking at negative images. When looking at positive images, they have a typical reaction. So no difference between a factor one psychopath and anyone else. For individuals with factor two psychopathy, they had the expected pupil dilation. So again, typical reaction, nothing unusual here. So again, that's with visual images. What about sounds? We see no effect here. Again, a typical reaction. And moving to faces, specifically happy faces, we see that individuals high in psychopathy have an increase in pupil size when they see happy faces. Individuals who are low in psychopathy have a reduction in pupil size. So what's going on here? Well, it could be that psychopaths don't tend to trust people who are smiling, right? They have low trust in general. So when they see someone who's smiling, they may feel threatened. That's the theory anyway, but we really don't know what's going on there with the happy faces. Now, something else that's important to touch on here is the time involved. The reduced pupil responses when the negative stimuli is presented are only really noticeable within the first two seconds. So this really suggests that the deficit may really manifest as a delay in processing. So the ability to process negative feelings just takes more time for a factor one psychopath. The deficit is not a global persistent insensitivity. So these findings seem to support what's called the negative specific deficit for factor one psychopathy. And of course, only for visual images. So again, just for factor one psychopaths, the processing of negative visual images will be a little slower. So a very narrow finding when we think about the types of psychopathy and the fact, of course, that most people would be low in psychopathy and all the different types of possible stimuli. So with these findings in mind, does this mean that everyone can run out and start identifying psychopaths by looking at their pupils? Well, the answer here is no. And there are a lot of reasons why the answer is no. First, there's simply not enough research to solidly support this idea. We see some support, and I think it's quite interesting, but it's not enough. It is enough, however, to continue researching the topic, but that's about it for now. Second, other factors can cause pupil dilation, like medication, for example. Those factors are controlled for in a study, but would not be controlled for just walking around in public. Third, mental disorders characterized by psychosis, like schizophrenia, have an association with pupil dilation. So again, this factor is only really controlled for in experimental environments. Fourth, even if these findings are correct, and that's a big if, we're talking about a two-second delay in processing. So this would be very difficult to spot. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. For more content, 
please visit our website at arslanga.media. To leave feedback or suggestions, send an email to info at arslanga.media. To find more content from Dr. Grande, including a link to his YouTube channel and his other Ars Longa podcasts, visit our website at arslanga.media. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical or mental health advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page.